You will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. I'm excited about what God is doing. I'm excited about what God is doing in this church. And when I say I'm excited about what God is doing in this church, I'm excited about what he's doing in every one of your lives. I look out right now and I see many new faces. I see faces who are excited. This morning when I came into church, there was just a buzz. There was just an excitement in the house. And that's what Kelly and I have been praying for now for months. And the leadership here of this church, we've been praying that there would be such a buzz, such a vibe in the church of excitement that people would come. That like David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go. We can have a rough week, as Jimmy said. But you know what? We Our rough week stops when we come into the house of God. And we can just feel encouragement, we can just feel blessing, and we can be uplifted. Amen? Are you ready to receive the word this morning? Fantastic. This morning I want to talk once again about each one, reach one. Last week we began a mini-series when we are talking about spreading the gospel, telling people about Jesus Christ. And we're talking about the importance of it. So we're dealing with evangelism. That word evangelism is really just a big word that means to proclaim and share the good news of Jesus Christ. So when we are called to evangelize, we are called to proclaim and share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you right now, it's good news. How do you know it's good news? Because I look around and I see the good news that it's brought to so many people's lives. We were all lost in sin and God found us. Come on, that's good news. And it's time that we begin, each one of us, to tell others about Christ. Pushing every excuse aside. Why? Because we discovered last week, hell is a real place. And it's a real place that we don't even want our worst enemies to go to. It's so horrific. It's beyond description and imagination. How awful. In fact, hell is so bad that God never even created it for mankind. But mankind, because of his free choice unfortunately has chosen and is still choosing to damn their own soul to hell. But it's time, therefore, that every one of us who call ourselves children of God sees every moment and make the best of every opportunity. How many have had opportunities even just this week to share with other people? Come on. There is opportunities and there is moments around us every day. We cannot rely on God to send someone else when he's already sent us. We pray, don't we, for God to bring someone else across that path of that person who sits beside us and God has strategically placed us to make a difference in their lives. Stop praying for someone else. And start praying that you will be that person. And you will stand up and share the gospel 
the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning I want to give you a few examples of how we can evangelize those around us. I want to help you a little bit today because, again, one of the greatest reasons why people don't evangelize is because they say they don't know how. I want to try and help you today and specifically want to try and help you practically today. Because I believe that there are practical ways that you can share the gospel that have out of this world rewards. Think about that. Practical methods and means for sharing the gospel that will have out of this world rewards. What do we mean? We're going to see people saved through the practicality, through us living our lives every day. So here's the first way that we can evangelize, we can spread the gospel, we can share the good news to Jesus, of Jesus Christ. Number one, invite them to church. Invite someone to church. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 4, and we're going to read a few scriptures this morning, and we're going to give some of you some Bible reading that you probably will read more Bible today than what you've probably read for the whole month up to now. Shame on you. But we're going to read some Bible today. The Word of God. From John chapter 4, we're going to begin in verse 5. And the Bible says these words, So he, Jesus, came to the city of Samaria. Now the reason, stop for a second, the reason he went to Samaria is because verse 4 tells us that Jesus turned to his disciples and said, I need to go to Samaria. Now you've got to understand, the Jews didn't go to Samaria. If they had to go to a place, they would walk around Samaria. They wouldn't go through. They, they didn't like each other. But Jesus woke up this morning for whatever reason and said, there's a desire, there's a need in my life to go to Samaria. So Jesus is in Samaria. Verse 5, so he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being weary from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. They tell us that was about noon. It was about the twelfth hour of the day. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have also given you living water. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water from? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Then Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water, the natural water, will thirst again. But Jesus said, Whoever drinks of the water of life, come on, whoever experiences life through me, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting wine. How can we have a fountain of living water? Because we have the source, Jesus Christ, inside of us. And the woman said to Jesus, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor may I come here to draw. She didn't quite understand what was going on. 
She thought she wouldn't have to go back to the well. She could throw her water pot away. Great, that she would have just a constant supply of natural water. Verse 16, and Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman said to Jesus, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You have said well, you have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one that you now have is not your husband. In that you have truly spoken. I mean, Jesus reads her mail. I mean, she wasn't lying when she said she didn't have a husband. She didn't, but Jesus knew she already had five and she was now committing adultery with a sixth. But notice, let's read on. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you must be a prophet. How can you know this? But then she goes on to say, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, You know, sometimes we can get so confused with all the religion and all the ceremonies and, and all these things. And I love the gospel message is just simple. Come on, say it with me, simple. It's just simple. Jesus just simplifies everything. And he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. You worship what we worship for salvation of the Jews. But the hour, listen to this, the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming who will be called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, the one who is speaking to you right now, I am he. I am he. Here we've just read an incredible story of Jesus talking with a woman at the well. When this lady, an outcast, I haven't got great time to go into it, but she was an outcast. How do you know this? Because she was the only lady that had come at noontime to draw water. All the other women would come earlier in the morning. But because of the way that she was living, because of the reputation and the lifestyle she had, she was an outcast. She wasn't accepted. So she had to come alone at a different time. But Jesus knew the time that she would be coming. And Jesus met her and there was something about Jesus that caught her attention. She noticed that Jesus treated her differently to how she was treated by any other person. Jesus did not allow the customs of that day in the fact of men did not really have any dealings with women. Jesus did not allow the racial hatred between the Jews and the Sumerians. He did not allow that or any other circumstance knowing the history of her life. He did not allow any of those things to sway him from his conversation with her that day. And in the midst of this conversation, Jesus promises her. I love it. He turns the conversation away from natural water into living water as he promises to her that if she were to drink of living water, she would never thirst or never be in need again. She couldn't understand it. She was waiting for a Christ and Jesus said, I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Literally overwhelmed 
by the love of Jesus and the grace that he showed to her, her life was changed. You see, Jesus could have so easily condemned her because he knew everything about her. But Jesus did not condemn her. How quickly do we condemn the people around us for doing the wrong thing? The sad reality is many of them maybe don't even realize what they're doing is wrong. Hello? But yet we're so quick to condemn them. Jesus did not condemn her for the wrong way she lived. But listen to this, neither did he condone the lifestyle in which she lived. He did not condone her actions. But what does he do? He reaches out despite her situation into her need or into her great need of desperation. Listen to me right now. There are people around us every day that don't need to be condemned and they don't need to be condoned. But they need to be loved. They need to know that there is hope. They need to know that there is a way. They need to know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. In other words, the lady didn't have it all together. She didn't have it all figured out. She was confused about the worship. She was confused about the water. She was masking the fact of her lifestyle and the way she lived. She didn't have all the answers. But that was okay. Because that day she met the missing ingredient. That part that was missing from her life. That day she came in contact with living water that changed her life. This woman is so moved and changed by the way that Jesus treats her and the response that he has towards her. What does she do? She runs back home and she tells everyone else about Jesus. How do you know that, Pastor Philip? Well, it says so in the story. Let's read on. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot She went her way into the city and said to the men of the city, can you see her leaving her water pot? There was such haste in her action. There was such excitement about the fact that someone had not condemned her. They certainly hadn't condoned, but they just reached out to her, knowing her life, that she made haste and she ran back and she told and said to the men of the city, verse 29, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You know what those people are thinking? Oh, my goodness, he must have been talking to her for a long time. This must be some guy because, I mean, we only know a half of it and we don't like the half that we already know. Verse 30, Then they went out of the city and came to him. Look at me quickly. This lady didn't know Scripture. She didn't know how to defend her newfound faith. But all she knew was that Christ accepted her in her awful state. And now because of that change and the acceptance that she found in Christ, she now invited her friends, her enemies, she invited everyone that she came in contact with as she screamed it out, come and experience Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Come on, look what happened when a lady who didn't have it all together, she was an outcast, she was rejected by everyone else, but yet she had an encounter with Jesus that had changed her life. Look what happened when a woman like that invited people to church. Verse 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him.
because of the word of that woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Because one person didn't know, but all they knew was, come see a man. Come see a man. He didn't condemn me. Aren't you glad today that God did not condemn you? Come on, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God didn't write us off and move on to the next person. God just hovered a little bit longer and said there's something in that person that they need me. Because of her excitement, because of her witness, others were changed too. Listen to me today. Just a simple invitation can change a soul. Just a simple invitation to church can change a life. How sad is it that many of us don't even do that? We don't need to know chapter and verse. Just come meet a man that changed my life. I don't have all the answers, but one thing I know, I walked in one way and the love I felt and the acceptance I felt. And how can you say that, Pastor Pete? Because that's the testimony that's been told to us countless times in this church. From you, those of you who came in here lost, said, I've never felt such love as I did and acceptance when I came into this place. You know, there's a sad reality or a sad fact today. There's a lot of churches out there that people are ashamed or embarrassed to take people to. They want to tell their friends about Christ, and they do, but they don't want to invite them to church. Because all of a, sus- all of a sudden, Sister Susie Floozy may start running around and acting up. And there may be all this weird, crazy, unnecessary stuff that takes place that all of a sudden people are looking and they're weirded out. And now they don't see a man, they see the flesh being manifested and they are repulsed or repelled from it. I really believe that Heartsease Family Life Church is a safe place that you can bring people. Come on, I said it's a safe place. It's not safe in the fact of we're watering down gospel and it's a seeker sensitive and everyone's going to feel good and we're not this or not that. But it's a place that you can know for sure that they will be presented with the true gospel. Minus all the weird, unnecessary stuff. In this church, we don't condemn and neither do we condone. But we preach the love and the acceptance and we preach the transforming power of Jesus Christ. I gave you this statistic last week that I believe should leave every one of us ashamed and here it is again this week. 73% of people who do not attend church say they were never invited. I want you to grab a hold of that. 73% of people who don't attend church. That means you work with 10 people at work. And all of those ten people don't go to church. That means that seven out of that ten have never perhaps even been invited to church. That's incredible that over 75% almost, or 75%, three quarters of people who don't go to church were never invited. How many agrees that we can all invite someone to church? Come on, there's no excuse that we can't invite them. But you know what? Here in this church, we want to go to the next level, and that is this. We don't want to just be an inviter. We want to be a bringer. Bring them to church. Tell them, I'll be outside your house on Sunday morning at 9 a.m., and I'll honk the horn, and I'll be ready. Don't give them an opportunity to back down. When they call you at 8.30, ignore the call, because they're trying to cancel. Still show up at 9 o'clock and honk the horn. 
And they're going to say, well, listen, there's no time now. Oh, I'll wait all day if it takes. We'll go into church today. Come on, bring them to church. So the first practical way is invite them to church. The second practical way is this. Share your story. Share your story. What do you mean share your story? Tell them about the testimony of your life. Is that not what the lady at the well did? Come see a man who told me everything about my life. The Bible says because of her testimony, because of her witness, because of what happened, because of her story, people were intrigued. They came and they too received Jesus Christ. I've realized this, people argue Scripture. I said people argue Scripture. They want to debate about it. They want to debate even about the translation and, oh, that's the wrong translation. I mean, they, they argue the silliest, most pointless things. But people cannot argue your testimony. Why can they not argue your testimony? They can choose not to believe, but they cannot take it from you. Why? Because it's real to you. That's why your testimony is so powerful. When it comes to your testimony, it's an incredible tool that God has given you. Such an effective evangelistic, which means what? To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's such an effective evangelistic tool. I want you to look at your testimony quickly this morning because I believe your testimony should be made up of three separate parts. Our testimony is composed of three different parts. The first part is this, where you were, your past. The second part is this, your conversion experience or when you gave your life to Christ. Salvation comes. And then the third part is your present life, looking on to your future life. You see, when it comes to share our testimony, here's what most of us do. We've got to watch that it's not all the past with little or no conversion and the present. What do you talk about? I've heard people give their testimony and for three quarters of an hour, they talk about the drugs, they talk about the promiscuous way they live, they talk about rebellion of their life, they talk about all these kind of things, which is great, but then they almost end it by saying, I gave my life to Christ and now my life's changed. Amen. Anyone want prayer to that? Now, that's great in the fact of what God saved you from, but you're not really giving what took place as a result. And now how your life is being changed now daily in your walk. You see, our testimony is not to glorify the past. Come on, help me out today. Our testimony is not to glorify the past, because if we're glorifying the past, we're just giving credit to Satan. Come on, there's not much. Is there to glory in our past? Come on, in fact, we're ashamed, a lot of us, of our past. But we've got to watch when we share our testimony, we're not glorifying in the past, but we are to display the awesome, delivering and life-changing power of God. And now how he has totally changed your life. Now what's happening? I've got true purpose. I've got true reason for living. I'm now living a life of abundance, a life of blessing. You see, that's what makes our testimony such a powerful tool, one that Satan doesn't get glory in. Learn to balance your testimony. Are you saying, Pastor Philip, don't share about your past? No, I'm not saying that. But remember, use your past as a means 
to show what took place in your life and now how God has completely put your family back together. Your marriage has been restored. Your kids are now respecting you. You've now got a good job. Great things are happening. Sickness is in your body. God's healed you and God delivered you. Come on, people can relate to the past. They all know that, but you've got to give them something that they can grab a hold of into the future, into the present. Give them a hope for their lives. Give them hope that God can change Every one of them. So share your story. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and we're going to read again a few verses from John chapter 9. We're going to begin with verse 1, talking about sharing your story. And it says, A man who was born blind receives his sight. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked Jesus and said unto him, Rabbi, Who has sinned, this man or his parents? Because back then they thought that because of blindness or someone who was lame, because of sickness, they thought that it was a result of sin in that person's life. Who has sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What does Jesus reply? Neither. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is still day because the night is coming when no one can work. What Jesus is saying is the day he's referring to is that his work's still on earth because the night he's talking about is the crucifixion. As long as I am in the world, I am the light in the world. Verse 6, And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground. And he made clay, and with his saliva, he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Here's a man who's born blind, but he was exposed to Jesus. And now his life is changed. Miraculously, he receives his sight. Now, I don't know the method and the means why Jesus chose to do what he did in spitting in the ground and making clay and putting on his eyes. I don't know why Jesus chose to do that. But you know one thing? I know the result of what took place. And that's what I believe is so important. Now, as a result of what takes place, there's a stir. People are talking, things are happening. Let's read on, verse 8 through 12. Therefore the neighbour of those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not the one who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He's like him. He said, Hold on a second, I'm, I'm the one. No questions, ifs, ands or buts, I'm he. Therefore they said to him, Then if you are the one, how are your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and he anointed my eyes. And he said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. There was a stir. They were asking questions. Who did this? Are you a blind man? It can't be you. Oh yes, it is me. How did he do it? There was a stir that went on. But there was such a puzzlement that took place that the people decided they're going to take him to the religious leaders. So as he stands before the religious leaders, the religious leaders begin to accuse Jesus. There's no way that Jesus could be of God. 
There's no way because, I mean, he's healing someone on the Sabbath. I mean, that's against the law. There's no way that he could be of God. So some people up the corner began to shout, Oh, Jesus, he's a sinner. He's a sinner. But then there was another group on the other side that began to question and said, hold on a second, if he's a sinner, how could he have done such a miracle as this? So they were kind of divided in what had really taken place. So they decide, here's the man, why not ask him? So they say to the man, what happened? Who is this Jesus? Is he a sinner? And the man looked and said, He's a prophet. He's a prophet. So now all of a sudden they've got another problem. He's confessing or he's professing he's a prophet. There's already a dispute so they decide, oh, here's the thing. He was never really blind. Oh, he was just making it up. I mean, this is just a big joke. I mean, this is big circus time. You know, you were never really blind. So they decide to call in the parents. So they call in this man's parents. And the Bible says that when they asked the parents, they were afraid to answer because they were afraid of the Jews. So what did they say? Hey, he's of age. Why not go back and ask him? So they came back to that man one more time. And they asked him a question. Listen to his reply in verse 25. The man answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not. I don't know. But one thing I do know. That though I was blind, now I see. Here's the man who was blind. He didn't know much. In fact, he didn't really know anything. Except one thing. He said, I know this, I was blind, but now I see. You see, this man was an expert in one subject. And you know what that one subject was? His own experience, his testimony. Come on, you and I are experienced. We're experts in our testimony. We may not know much about what happened and how it happened, but let me tell you something. We know it happened. We know that we were once blind and going nowhere, but God put our lives back on track and now we have purpose and reason for living. I don't maybe understand all the ins and the outs, but all I can tell you is I'm changed and I'm different and I'm not the person I used to be. Bring in my parents if you want and they can tell you that I was blind that I was going nowhere in a hurry. Bring in people around. They may dispute the fact, but let me tell you something. I'm the one that God changed my life. I'm the one. Every one of us needs to look for ways that we can share our story. Why not begin with this? Let me tell you my story. Come on, we've got a story. Anyone in the house got a story? Come on now. Anyone in the house got a story? Whatever your story was, whatever your story is, whatever your story will be, I'm telling you right now, your story can fit into any circumstance of the lives of the people who are around us every day. 
We may not face the exact same things, but we've faced the similar things and we know the result. You may say, if someone's been raped, I don't know what it feels like to be raped, but I know what it's like to be alone. And God touched me. And when I didn't know which way to turn, God came in and He touched me. And the same God who touched me can meet your needs right where you're at if you'll just trust Him and just believe Him. Your encounters and your experiences can relate to others around. Even if you don't think today you have a story to tell, let me promise you, God can use what you have. It's not much of a story. I'm telling you, God can use it if you'll just be willing to share it. Why do you think we've come through so many tests? So we can have testimonies. Come on, why do you think you've gone through so many trials? Because you can testify that, yea, though I walked past tense through the valley of the shadow of death, what? He never left me. He never forsook me. And now I can see right now the tests and the trials were to help me, were to strengthen me, were to change my life. Come on, you may not know chapter and verse, but you've got a story to tell of Jesus Christ. You've got a story to tell. I remember my situation was great in the fact of I was brought up in church. All my friends and my cousins, Brittany was sent to me the other day, nearly everyone you hung around with was your family, it's true. My dad won a six, my mum's won a six. All my dad's family were pastors and leaders in the church. There was so many cousins, I can't remember how many cousins I've got. I think I've got like 27 or 28 cousins. But about 14 of them were all brought up in the same church, mostly about the same age. The church was just a nightmare. We used to have what they called carry cots. They've now got those nice little chairs, you know, with the kids sitting. But they used to be like a cot with a handle. And they used to say the church was, was hilarious. From almost one side of the platform to the other was just lined up carry cots with all us kids sleeping along the front of the church. They didn't have a nursery. Nursery was church. We were brought up in church. That's all we had. Poor people, there must have been so much crying, there must have been so much noise. But when I came over into a different experience, I remember as a young man coming over to America and I was part of a youth group at my grandfather's church in Georgia. I was just over for the summer and I remember one day the young people had a pool party and we were all at the pool and we were all swimming. And in the middle of the day, the youth pastor at that time turned around and said, we're going to have a testimony time and I want everyone here to share the testimony of their life. Remember, everyone kind of got out of the pool, stood to the side of the pool. They were sitting on the side with their feet in. Someone was sitting on the diving board. We were just gathered around the pool and one after the other, people began to give their testimonies. I was absolutely amazed at the testimonies that I heard because there were so many of those people who weren't like me. They weren't brought up in a Christian home. And they had to go through so many horrific, awful things. I was almost floored to think how many of these young men and women went through such incredible adversities and trials. And as they began to share their stories, I'll be honest with you, I was dreading the fact that I was three to go, two to go, one to go, that I was the next. Because I began to be embarrassed about the lack of story that I had to tell. I'd never done drugs. I'd never slept around. I'd never done those kind of things. All I knew, the only drugs I knew was I was drugged to church every Sunday, drugged to church every Wednesday. I mean, the, the only thing that I could ever talk about was that there was nothing I could talk about. And as I sat there, 
My head hung and I began to be so embarrassed and I was hoping that they would skip by me. But I'm telling you this right now. God showed me something in that instant. God said something to me that day that I've never forgotten. He said, Philip, you've got the greatest testimony. Not that you're any better than anyone else. But you've got the greatest testimony. Why? Because God spared you and kept you from having to go through and ever experience anything like that. God says there is a testimony inside of you of the keeping power that I am able to put into the lives of young men and women. That day I boldly said, you know what, I don't do all these things, but God's given me a great testimony, and that is this. As a young age, I've given my life to Christ, and I've never looked back. I've had problems and ups and downs, but God has always been faithful to me. That day I was proud to give my testimony. You see, you may be ashamed of the past because it is bad. You may be ashamed because you don't have any past. I'm telling you right now, every one of us has a testimony and a story to give. Be prepared to tell your story. Practice it. If needs be, why not write it down? If some of you in here needs help with your testimony, write down the thoughts. Call Pastor P up and I'll help you. Because I believe your testimony is such an incredible tool that you can use to touch so many lives. Look for ways and opportunities that you can share your testimony. But remember this again, please. In sharing your testimony, it's not about you. Come on, it's not just about you. It's about your experience being used as a vehicle to steer people towards Jesus Christ. To build their hope and their belief. To build their faith in Him. Come on, Facebook your testimony. Come on, Twitter it in what, 140 characters and less? Twitter your story. Email your story. Talk about it. Use it because it's a powerful tool and weapon that you have to share with others. How many has a story? If you don't have a story, we'll give an altar call right now. Come on, if you're saved, you've got a story. Come on, let me see your hand. You've got a story. You've got a story. How many can invite people to church? How many people have a story to tell? So we're two for two so far. Here's the third part. Give your life away. I give myself away. I give myself away so you can take my life. What do we sing? We sing, God, here I am, take me, use me. But do we really realize the importance of the words that we are sharing? What does it mean to give your life away? I'm telling you what it means. It means share the gospel by action. Share the gospel by action. There's a story and an illustration of this in the Bible. If you would turn to Acts chapter 9 and verse 36, there's a lady called Dorcas or Tabitha. Listen to what the Bible says in Acts chapter 9 and verse 36. It says, at Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. I think I'd rather go by Tabitha than Dorcas. And the Bible says that this woman was what? Was for good works and charitable deeds which she did. What did she do? She looked for every opportunity she had to do charitable works and good deeds. Now if you read the story on, she dies and the people gather around and they're upset. So they bring Peter and Peter prays and she's brought back to life. But why did these people want her brought back to life? Because of the goodness 
and the good deeds that she did and what she performed to them. In other words, the Bible says that she was always doing good. She was sharing the gospel through action. You know what? You and I are called to do the same things. Why not go and mow someone else's grass? Why not go and help someone out who's in need? Come on, why not say to that person that's pouring rain, hey, I'll give you a ride home. Come on. What about babysitting or watching someone else's kids so they can go out on a date night or they can go to the mall without having their tots and their kids running around? And when I'm saying this, do it for free, not say, I'll watch your kids for 50 bucks. Why not offer to clean someone's house and help them? Why not just open the door for someone and just let them in? You see, we've got so super spiritual, but that's not the gospel. Yes, it is the gospel. Come on, people were upset because Tabitha had died. Why? Because she was constantly doing good. And they connected that good to what? To her God. They saw God through her good works. Come on, every one of us is able to share the gospel through our actions. It's amazing what a difference the little things can just make. It's amazing me how many times just at the grocery store how I say to someone, God bless, how it almost seems like it changes their whole day. But you know why the gospel in action makes such a difference today? Because we live in such a selfish, self-centered world. People are pushing people out of the way. They're pushing people down in order to promote themselves. They're fighting to push that their way. You know, I can't stand that. And guys, let's be gentlemen again. I hate to see a guy push through a door before a woman. When you're in an elevator and you're first to go out, that doesn't mean you go out first. You step to the side and put your hand over the doors and you let the other people go out. People may say, what's the deal? I'm sharing the gospel with other people. Because when they look at me, I say, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. You see, I'm sharing the gospel with no strings attached. My hand's not out for some. Come on, I watched your kids. Give me some. No, you're sharing the gospel. You're being the gospel what Jesus has called us to be. Listen, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to serve. But when you serve others in Christ's name with no strings attached, people will notice something different about you and they will be drawn to it. Why did he do that? And you can even use me. You can say, well, you know what? Our pastor in church has been preaching about sharing the gospel in action. And the reason why I did it was because he told me, why not go and mow someone else's grass? So I'm here mowing your grass today. And you know, the only thing I want back in return is you to hear me tell you one thing, and that is this, Jesus loves you. How many can invite someone to church? Keep your hand up if you've got a story to tell. Keep your hand up if you can share the gospel by action. Come on, we're three for three. Here's the last one. Be bold with the truth. Be bold with the truth. Up to now, some people may look and say, well, Pastor P, all you've really done is skirted around the edges. But you know what? I'm not saying that because I believe inviting someone to church, sharing your story and showing them the gospel is very effective methods and means to win people to Jesus Christ. And you know why I think they're so effective? Because I believe it's a relief for people out there to see the gospel at work instead of always hearing it and not seeing it. Did you catch that? 
I believe it's a relief for those out there that when they see many people, when they hear you're a Christian, the wall goes up straight away because they think Christian hypocrite, the same thing. Christian better than you. But what we're doing is we're bringing down that wall as we're showing them that we're here to serve, we're here to love. So those things inviting, sharing or giving are important and God can use them and will. So continue to use them. But listen to me, there's just sometimes you've got to take the bull by the horns. Come on, there's just sometimes that you've got to present the gospel message to them. There are times when God may lead you to get in someone's face and boldly confront them with the truth. No one really enjoys this. Some people live for confrontation. Anyone know anyone that lives for confrontation? I mean, some people absolutely love it. Most people don't care much for it. But you and I have got to consider what's at stake. Come on, eternity is a long time, especially when you're lost in hell. So therefore, we've got to consider the fact. As I said, so many of us naturally are not confrontational in our personalities. But you and I have got to be willing to fight through that because of the love that we have for others and the unwillingness that we have for them to go to hell. Listen to Peter's address on the day of Pentecost. Follow on the screen, Acts 2, verse 38 through 40. Peter said to them, Repent! <laughs> Not a great message. He didn't say, Hey guys, if you just feel like giving your life to Christ. and He's screaming out, You bunch of sinners! Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission or the forgiveness of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and all who are far off as many of the Lord will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted and he said to them, be saved from this perverse generation. He said you're a bunch of perverse people. You need to repent. Come on, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't candy coat it. He told them straight, listen, there's a need right now to make a change. Peter that day said something strong but true. It wasn't a feel-good address, but listen to me. Many people felt good through that address because the Bible said thousands were added to the church that day. It wasn't a feel-good message, but people felt good when they received the message as thousands were added to the church. Listen to me, maybe it's time to confront that friend. Maybe it's time to answer that co-worker's question that you have never been direct with because of the fear of rejection. But every time they bring up the question about Christianity or why you do the things you do, you change the subject. Maybe you've mowed their grass too many times. Now it's time to tell them the truth. Maybe it's time not to remain silent when there's the prime opportunity to talk and give a biblical perspective into the conversation. Come on, you know the conversations at work. It doesn't take long for you to have the opportunity to jump in and give a biblical perspective. But what do we do? We just pull away to the side or we have no dealings with the conversations. Perhaps it's time we start saying what we believe and what we know to be true. Maybe it's time to be honest with the people at work and tell them what you did this weekend. Tell them that you went to church. Bishop said something to me the other week and I couldn't believe it, but it's so true. He said, Pastor Philip, it's amazing how hungry people are to hear the gospel and to hear what you do. You think no one wants to and you think no one's interested, but people are hungry out there to hear. 
Maybe it's time to answer why your life has been so drastically changed. And stop them guessing why you have such a great peace and now fulfilment in your life. Maybe it's time that you tell them it has nothing to do with your promotion. That's just a bonus. Hello. That's not what brought the peace and the change and the transformation. Maybe it's time to tell people the real reason instead of continually playing it safe. You see, this is one thing I've discovered. As you open your mouth, you may not know really what to say. But as you open your mouth and you yield your life to the Holy Spirit, watch as God begins to put words in your mouth. You'll be amazed if all of a sudden you begin to say, well, Pastor Philip said in church, and God's word says this. And you'll be like stepping back, looking at yourself and saying, where is all this coming from? Anyone ever had such an experience like that? That you are absolutely amazed. It's like all of a sudden something else takes over your life. And now you begin to say things that you're like, man, where did I get that from? But you see, that's why you fill yourself with the Word. That's why you're in church, because the Gospel message, the Word of God promises to never return void. If you put it inside of you, it has the ability to come out of you at any time. Open your mouth. You and I must never be afraid to tell the truth in love. Notice how I said in love, because so many people love to tell the truth. Big difference. We're telling the truth in love. We're not condemning, but neither are we condoning. So in closing, I want to ask you today, is it really hard to share the gospel and evangelize with people around us? Come on, is it really hard? But what we must do is we must allow our lives to be open to go and share whatever the Holy Spirit leads us to do. Again, if you don't know what to say, find out. Hello? If you don't know what to say, find out. Yes, use the other methods. Invite them to church. Share your testimony with them. You know, give to them. You know, give by acts of service. Do all these things. But remember, at times, that approach may not always work. Don't let someone go to hell because you could not be bothered to share your faith with them. What a difference your life can make. And it's not hard. Satan just wants us to believe the lie that it is and therefore silence our witness. Say with me these words, my life can make a difference. I want you to say that one more time with me. My life can make a difference. I just need to reach out. Say it with me again. My life can make a difference. I just need to reach out. Today in this church, we are one soul away from doubling in size. But as I end this message, there should have been a card that was put on your chair this morning. If not on your chair, around your chair. And if not, we've got some extras that we want you to get before you leave church today. But here's the challenge for every one of you. We are asking, or I am asking as a pastor, on the top that says, Soul Challenge. Besides Soul Challenge, there is the date, September and October. We've only got a couple of weeks left in September and a whole month of October. What I want every one of you to do is I want you to think of a person, a soul that you want to see God save and touch in the month of the end of September through October. 
What I want you to do is under the who, I want you to write their name. And then what I want you to do is I want you to start keeping an account of what you've done. Maybe you've invited them to church. Write it down under there and put a date. Perhaps you've shared their story or your story with them. Write it down. Perhaps you've done a good act for them. Perhaps you've told them about the gospel. Why are you doing this, Pastor Philip? Because I think you and I will be amazed as we begin to write it down and keep an account how easy it is to share the gospel with those around. Turn the page over and keep writing. And after you've accomplished one, go on to another. Because you know what? The challenge of every one of our lives needs to be that one soul. Come on, each one reaches one. If each one can reach one, come on, this church magnifies This church grows. But you know what? Who cares about this church? It's the kingdom of God that matters. So who's your soul? Who is that? But you know, not only what have I done, but what am I? You need to maybe change around that person, whatever. Begin to document everything down on this little piece of paper and grab a bigger sheet if you need it. But I'm telling you, watch how God gives opportunity after opportunity for you. And you're praying for them to be saved and you have the ability within you to lead them to Christ. Come on, we can invite them or bring them to church. Come on, every Sunday and Wednesday between now and the end of October, you need to have on that sheet, I invited them to church again this weekend. I invited them to church again Wednesday night. I invited them to church again this weekend. Come on, we're all able to do that. And every one of us is able to share the story. Not so it's about us, but using it as a vehicle or a means to touch their lives. Every one of us can do acts of service that they spill their coffee and we run and we get something to clean it up and we're just there to help them open the door. They've got stacks of paperwork and you've done your work. Let me help you do some of yours. Write it all down. Because why? You're evangelising. Come on, you're evangelising. Your life, no matter what you think you are, your life, surrendered and given to God, can make a difference. Oh, but Pastor Philip, I'm worthy. I'm, I'm, I'm unworthy. Join the club. Me too. But for grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. Come on, each one. I'm going to say each one and you're going to say we're going to reach one. Can we do that? Are you ready? Each one. We're going to touch them for Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We'd like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's Word into effect. At Hearties Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.